welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm recording this intro uh, live from Kauai, Hawaii. Um, I landed in Kauai last week and I've been doing a 14-day quarantine and so I have about a week left and I've been posting all about my adventures on Instagram so you can check that out. But I am so, so, so excited to introduce to you this week's guest, Mandy Sham. So Mandy and I met around this time last year in India. We both did our yoga teacher training together and she just struck me as someone who is so, so creative, so intelligent. Um, You'll definitely hear that in this conversation and her writing just fills me up like no other. Um, I'm really excited about all the concepts we talked about in this episode and for you to really just soak in her magic. So officially, Mandy Sham is a photographer, writer, and yogi seeking the power of human stories through travel and food. She has befriended, documented, and eaten her way through 60 countries. And when not traveling, she is a freelance sound designer and food writer based out of Toronto, Canada. I am sending you all so much love and hope you enjoy this conversation with Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Thank you so much for coming and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So the first question that I ask everyone is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Uh, What is currently fueling my creative soul? Um, Being... Being alone a lot during this whole crisis and pandemic has really made me reassess that question, I think. I had a lot of external stimulus, just even as an artist and while I was traveling, which really, it was a lot of external input. And what I got, I felt like I took that and I kind of used it and made it into my own thing. But nowadays with obviously things being locked down and all of us kind of being forced to stay at home. I think my definition of that has kind of changed. I really gotten into like my own mind, I guess. And at at first and still now I say it's very uncomfortable to kind of like source inspiration purely from your own self and your own thoughts. I mean, when there's not a whole lot of like external stimulus happening, you're just kind of looking for things to come up in your head. Um, but I would say, like, I've been doing a lot of reading. So in that sense, I've been getting a lot deeper into like my own uh, internal guide, I suppose, and like getting a lot more introspective and trying to find creativity within my own life throughout like small little routines and rituals. I love that you said like it's kind of been hard to find inspiration in quarantine because we are so used to external stimulus and like responding to the world around us and sitting inside all day and being in the same place every day. I myself too was finding a lot of like feeling really blocked. And I actually started teaching this workshop 
um, called Fridge Poetry because one day I was really bored and was like, gosh, I just want to write poetry. But I was like, what do I write about? I haven't been outside in days. Like, there's nothing new happening in my life. What do I write about? And I was like, well, I have been opening up the fridge a lot. Maybe I should just like be inspired by what's in my fridge. So I just took out a few items from my fridge, like elderberry syrup and blueberries. And I was like, I'm going to write a poem inspired by elderberry syrup and blueberries and see what comes out of that. And so now I teach this process to other people. And it's so cool to be like, okay, we can be inspired by what's right in front of us. And it's kind of like that idea of turning inward and like, because we can't travel and because we can't do all these things, how can we travel in our minds and through the page and in our art and how can we kind of travel that way? Yeah, I, I really think like it's really made us reassess things that used to be mundane as new experiences for ourselves. And I remember after the height of the lockdown, when I went outside for walks and the weather was getting better and I'm in Toronto, so like the summer usually comes a little later than we all like it to. But I was taking walks in parks and stuff and just even the idea of being outside surrounded by nature was the most amazing feeling. I never felt that before <laughs> going out on a walk, like even just in my own backyard, walking in a park. It just really makes you take things that you previously took for granted, like as this thing that's part of your life that you tend not to notice. And I, in some ways, I feel like, as you were saying with the bridge poetry, it's, it's such an interesting way of accessing your creativity when you have to be forced to force yourself to look at these things in your fridge in like a really new way and find different ways of expressing how you feel about them. <laughs> yeah. Wait, can we talk? This is a good segue because I would love to talk to you about food because I love <laughs> food and I feel like you have been posting on Instagram the most exquisite, divine, delicious looking concoctions. And I'm like, how, first of all? And second of all, I guess my question is, what is your relationship to cooking and creating in the kitchen? And what is that for you? Yeah, it's kind of an odd story. I, I never really considered myself someone who belonged in the kitchen, didn't consider myself really capable of working with food. I didn't grow up surrounded by that environment. And so I was very much like isolated for much of my life from the kitchen, being taught by my mom, for example. Like, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of Asian cultures and, and with other people I've spoken to within the Asian diaspora, uh, we kind of have these similar experiences of our, our moms being like, well, you don't need to cook, like, just go study, go do other things. And it was odd because the recipes that they had were passed down to them from their mothers, for example, but they didn't want that same thing to happen to us. And so I felt like largely that a lot of my heritage had been lost. And it was so interesting because when I first went traveling for the very first time by myself, I was, I, my first stop was in Poland of all places. <laughs> and um, I was couch surfing with this guy who's uh, uh, from Afghanistan. And he sought asylum in Poland. He was working as an interpreter. And he, in the morning, made shakshuka. That was the first time that I had shakshuka. I, and it was so new to me because I was like, I've never had this before in my life. What is it? And he was saying, like, you know, it's such a beautiful story, even to this day. And I think that's what really sparked my, like, passion for food and the stories behind food. He was saying that when he was young and he would look into the kitchen, you know, his mother and 
his uh, siblings uh, would be in the kitchen cooking and they would never allow him to go inside the kitchen because it just wasn't a thing that he did as a man in the family. So he always like had this distance of watching things happen from outside. But as you know, he had to eventually leave the country and he's now separated from his family members. We're still within the country. It, it was really uh, heartwarming to hear that like even now as he's living in Poland, this is the one way that he connects with his mom and with his family and his heritage back home is he makes this shakshuka and it's, it's you know, not even... I, I, I mean, I don't know what constitutes an authentic recipe. Like, that's very contentious where shakshuka is concerned, but he used, like, this Polish tomato paste and some sourdough bread to, soup, to scoop it up. And it felt to me, like, very special even though you know he didn't probably didn't use certain spices that people consider authentic like to me that was very nostalgic for him so i guess from that point onwards i started looking at food in that same way and through that lens of like what's the story behind food and like what can we learn from cooking other people's food or eating other people's food learning about other people's food so i guess (laughs) from that point forward i was very much on this journey of discovering different cuisines as I was traveling, but also in my own kitchen, like rediscovering my own heritage by cooking a lot of food that I didn't have access to learn how to cook growing up. Mm-hmm. And that's such a big passion for me because I, I do feel like you hearts are gained through the stomach and <laughs> there's so much like love and compassion around the dinner table. It's where we come together to share and to be vulnerable and appreciate one another. So food is like a huge thing for me in a lot of different ways. I love that. I love that you said the stories behind food and the way that culture is passed down through sharing of food and how interesting that in your experience, like in the new generation, in your culture, it seems like that isn't being passed down to you. And so you kind of had to go rediscover it for yourself. But what a cool way to just look at like food, something that brings us together and, and the stories behind it. I just, oh, it just like gives me these feelings that I'm like, oh, cup full. It feels so good. I want to talk about your background and like what kind of artist you consider yourself to be, how you got into these different mediums that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, because I was going to touch on your writing, but I want, I want you to talk about your writing. And then Um, I actually pulled something from your website that I want to read because I love it so much, but we'll get to that later. So stay tuned because I think you, you capture it so beautifully. That just gives me that same feeling of like, oh, cup full. That's all I can say right now. But yeah, tell us about your background, how you got it, how, what your history is, is, what's your story, I guess. Uh, I'll try to be brief because I felt like it involves a lot of twists and turns and I hope for people who are listening that's reassuring in a way because I really didn't arrive at it in a like straightforward manner. So throughout my childhood I wanted to be a graphic designer or an illustrator of some kind. I was enrolled in all of these arts classes learning how to do still lifes and watercolor and it was very much something that I always thought this is like my thing, you know. And so it was odd because as I was going into university and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, I was thinking, like, I had this feeling of dread every time I walked into 
the studio for art class mm. where I was, I guess I was starting to feel like it just wasn't my thing anymore. And I really grappled with that because it's like you grow up for most of your life believing one narrative and then to kind of like feel that it's no longer something that really resonates with you anymore is kind of, especially if you're in your teens, <laughs> it's a lot to deal with. So, but I, I just kind of had to follow my heart in the end. And I just said, you know, this isn't working for me. I don't have this good feeling when I think about being an artist. And so I went into radio and television arts. And so that encompassed a lot of different things, including radio, like filmmaking, uh, television. And through that, I guess it was just an opportunity to like find a lot of different, like just try a lot of different things, see what I do enjoy. And from there, I guess, um, I naturally found my way into writing and, and storytelling in all of its different forms. And I guess, like, long story short, that's sort of what led me to where I am today. And picking up a, uh, a camera for the first time when I was in Hong Kong for the summer, that was, like, a huge experience for me because I never considered myself a photographer ever. <laughs> this is My dad is a photographer, um, not, not a professional photographer, but it was very much his passion. And it's interesting because you kind of, again, you tell yourself these narratives about who you are, and growing up, I was always like, I, you know, I'm not the photographer of the family. Mm-hmm. So it was never something I gave a chance. And the more and more I took photos, the more I was like, this is something that I do enjoy. I resonated with it. And it became more artistic over time, the same way that I guess writing became artistic over time, as this like real like expression of your identity versus something that you just felt like putting down on paper. And with writing, which is another, I guess it's kind of mostly what I identify with these days. You know, Leah, it's interesting because I went through, I recently moved and so I went through this stuff that I had in cupboards and, and like old jars and stuff. And I found these books from like Hallmark that I had bought, which were like these empty notebooks. And I used to write stories when I was young based on whatever was on the cover. <laughs> so, you know, if there was like horses or something, it would be a story about this girl who works at a stable and, you know, she's got this cute little boy who's who's managing the horses there and like reading these stories it was really amazing because I completely forgot that I had even done that and so that really like seemed that ignited my passion for writing and like just I've always wanted to put paper uh pen to paper and kind of get those ideas flowing so anyway that's the story and it's kind of long but (laughs) I want to hear more that's first of all I love what you said about the narratives that we tell ourselves and like how we identify and a how hard it is to you know kind of shed that old skin when we feel like we were drawn to something and then we're starting to feel something shift and it's Mm -hmm. like okay but if this is how I've identified us so long like I'm a visual artist and if I if I feel like I'm letting that identity go then we kind of reach this existential question of who am I and I know for myself I went through that same process with acting because my entire life I wanted to be an actor and like that was always the goal I went to school for acting and when I graduated college it was this thing of like well actually maybe that's not it and it doesn't mean that I can't act and it doesn't mean that like acting is not still going to be part of what I do as a whole. And just me as an artist, as a storyteller, I love the medium of acting because you can tell stories in that way. But 
like giving yourself permission to let something fade away for something else to arise. And the thing about your dad being a photographer and like knowing, you know, wait, well, I, I can't do that too. There's already someone in the family. I feel that similarly too, because my, one of my sisters is a professional opera singer and I consider myself a singer, but I think growing up, I was always comparing myself to her and like thinking that, well, I can't really be a professional singer like her because I don't want to do it on the level that she does it. And like, that's her thing. Interesting, like this idea of limitations and the kind of limitations that we set for ourselves without ever giving ourselves the proper chance to try something. I, I have been thinking about that a lot because I think it's almost like there's this fear that, you know, if you've been doing something for so long and it becomes this part of your identity, it's like, well, if you move beyond that, does that mean like that everything that you did what is now invalidated? And I think like on a rational level, you know, of course not. It's still very much part of your identity. It doesn't define one part of you. You know, there's so many different aspects to who people are. But on a very irrational level, like and emotionally, it's like you put time and you put labor, you put trauma into it. It's very personal for you, whatever it is that you want to leave behind. So there's this difficulty that, you know, like, does it mean nothing if I move on from it? And so <laughs> I'm doing a lot of thinking during this quarantine where it's just, it's a lot about, uh, I think, you know, life is so cyclical in that we're constantly letting go of these old versions of ourselves and finding new versions of ourselves and trying not to attach too much to like any one thing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Right. I like the cyclical versions of ourselves because it's true. Like sometimes we feel really drawn to something and, and it gives us what it needs. And when we no longer need it anymore and it's no longer serving us, we have to not have that attachment and not hold on so tightly because it is about like, softening and releasing into the flow of life which is going to take you many different places that you never expected which is beautiful and surprising but can be scary because the unknown is what most of us fear I think yeah and, and you know cyclical also in the sense that you know we, we don't have to be afraid of going back to what we were doing before either like I used to think it's just fear of like backtracking because life is a ladder you got to keep climbing it <laughs> and um there's a lot of shame about like you know going back to something that you feel you shouldn't be doing at this point in your life and and like I, I'm trying to extricate myself from that like you know okay like, what if I want to just go to a tropical country and work on a at a coffee shop for <laughs> a year you know like yeah. what about what about the mental journey I, I feel like there's so much that's lost when we try so persistently to pursue this like version of ourselves that you can quantify as being better than the older version of yourself. But that's at the expense of like, you know, your own personal and mental health and uh, well-being. And I think like there needs to be more conversation around that. Like what about, how can we find different ways of defining who we are as people other than like, you know, I am blank. I am this job. I am that career. Yeah. I actually was thinking about this phrase in India. I think when we were, for those of you who don't know, Mandy and I did our yoga teacher training in India together. And I think it was on our like eight hour car ride from Rishikesh to Delhi to go to the airport. And I was thinking about how we're always asking people like, oh, what do you do? Instead of who are you and what are you being? So can we focus on who are we being rather than what we are doing? Because who you are and how you express yourself 
is you and whether or not you're, you know, cooking or singing or cleaning a toilet, it, it's all the same. Like it's, if you're doing it authentically and expressing it ex authentically from yourself, then it does not matter what you do because you can infuse who you are and anything that you do. Does that make sense? Definitely. And I really, yeah, that conversation really struck out to me too. And I think it's this idea that like, you know, you can be doing anything, but the you, you know, capital Y is unmoving and it's always there. There's like a stillness within you. That's always like, there's going to be this part of who you are, but you have all these other aspects of yourself that blossom throughout your life. And, you know, you, you have to, I think, let them blossom and let the other things recede. And knowing that in amidst all of that, that the you with capital Y is still there and it's still like you know grounded in who you are yeah i love that are there any practices whether creative practices or spiritual practices that really get you in touch with that feeling of capital y you yeah so you and i spoke i mean we just talked about how we did our yoga teacher trainings together and i think yoga is a huge part of that because uh, it's something that i think you know it's movement it's mindful movement but it also is this kind of like, in some ways, a battleground between you and your mind and like your idea of what you should be doing today, what you should be doing on the mat. I recently had a wrist injury that's been chronic for a couple months. I was kind of doing my yoga practice and really identifying myself with like what I was capable of doing on the mat. But I feel like every time I show up on the mat, it's this question of like, can you just let go of all expectation and see where it takes you? Can you stop uh, identifying yourself with whether you did enough or whether you did enough, you know, strength movement or whether you feel like you're flexible enough to stop the practice for the day or whether you did the practice long enough. And I think in so many ways, like yoga and that like internal quieting of the mind is so representative of like how we just move throughout our lives and like every day is different every day is a, a different practice like even, even if you do the same yoga practice twice in a row it's not the same practice right and so that's a way for me to reconnect uh, i guess another way for me to do that is I, I just love time kind of walking and being on my own or being in cafes and having these like creative moments with myself there's this book that I read by Julia Cameron titled The Artist's Way. And she talks about this um, concept of an artist date. And it's this concept where uh, you take yourself, your inner, inner artist, your inner child on a date um, to be with yourself. And what that really means, you know, no talking, no external, I guess, contact with different people. Like this is, imagine yourself being on a date with yourself. And, you know, just really like prizing that and taking that time seriously, uh, going out and seeing, you know, a movie, for example, with yourself, um, going out to the park with yourself and having a lovely picnic, you know, and doing these things that are supposed to honor your inner being, um, recognizing that you have your own needs, your creativity needs, refreshing you need to provide your own wellspring of energy and support. Like you are your own support system and, and those kinds of things. Like those really speak to me. And so I've been doing those lately. Wait, when did you start The Artist's Way? 
I, you know, actually, a long time ago, I'm not completely finished, but it, it, like the back concept in particular really stuck out to me, and I've been practicing that ever since I read it. <laughs> I love that because The Artist's Way is like one of the most meaningful things that I've ever read or ever done. It's kind of actually what sparked this path that I'm going down of creativity mentoring and being so interested in my work as a person who who works on the intersection between creativity and spirituality because her book is all about that. And so I love that you mentioned that and that that's been helpful to you. And also what you're saying about the yoga practice too, that's such a good point about like those thoughts of comparison and those thoughts of feeling like, am I doing enough? And comparing yourself to the person you were the day before and comparing yourself to the person you were when you did a pose 10 minutes ago, but it's like yoga always teaches us to be in the present and to accept what is as enough. And so, you know, whether or not your right leg can lift higher than your left, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that that's better or worse. It just is. And like breathing into that and surrendering to that. So I really love that. Yeah. And like back to your point about how that taps into creativity, I really feel like this idea of being in the moment is what helps us with our creativity and letting go of like the expectation right and I think when I was writing that paralyzed me for a long time oh like but this isn't the best that it could be or I need to think more about this before I write it and when you take this perfectionist approach to writing or any sort of period of practice I think that's where it goes to die like you really need to give yourself honestly to the work and that's where it will shine through the most and that's why even with this and that applies a lot to life as you know we're talking about um with these practices that you started in these circles of creativity is such and julia cameron in her book talks about this too like creativity is not limited to the artist um to the writer and we all have creativity that we can tap into i think you have to think of creativity as something that's you know limited to the arts or to people who naturally have creativity but i think it's just a different way to talk about your inner child, nurturing that inner child and finding ways to just see life in like new ways every day. Yeah, totally. I'm really passionate about like, yeah, not defining creativity as something for the artist because I think a lot of people will be like, no, I'm not creative because I don't do anything artistic. But it's like, no, you don't need to be an artist in order to be creative. Human beings are inherently creative. Like yes. that is who we are. And so again kind of like we were saying earlier you can infuse creativity you can infuse art with everything that you do you can clean a toilet and that can be creative like as long as you're doing something that's expressing a part of yourself i've been thinking a lot lately what how i would define creativity because i feel like it's something that you can't really define it feels like this elusive subject but i think i've come to the conclusion that it really is about any practice that you do that is expressing an authentic version of yourself and whatever that looks like doesn't matter. But I guess, yeah, that's what creativity means to me. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how, how often do we spend in our lives like pretending to be other people and kind of moving away from who we're not? I really do think, as you say, like, yeah, creativity is this way of tapping into who you really are not being afraid of the results or what lies on the other side. I mean, also, it's just up to me, like, it's what makes you feel, reminds you of your aliveness, like, reminds you of your humanity and lets you tap back into that. 
Yeah, I love that. Reminds you of your aliveness. That's so good. Um, <laughs> will you talk about your relationship with travel? Because I know you are an avid traveler, an avid mm. solo traveler. And will you talk about that and how that has inspired your work? Because I know you also photograph the different places that you've been and you write about it online, both on your Instagram. So will you talk about your journey with traveling and, and how that translates to sharing stories and pictures online? Yeah, you know, travel is, it's such a loaded word. Just the idea of like what, what you think of, when, what comes to mind when you think of traveling. And I think for a lot of us, it's about the experience, of course. It's, it's, it's just taking in a new world, right? And trying to find your way around it. It's a lot of, again, consumption of what you see and what you perceive. And so I guess how that links back to my art, whether it's writing or through photography, is just trying to process it out the other end. Like, what can I produce from this? And using, I guess it's just, you know, you, you have these bottled up memories. Uh, and when you travel, it's almost overwhelming in a sense. Like, you arrive someplace and, like, how is it possible that you could even take it all in and absorb it properly, right? And, and so I think through writing, through photography, through other forms of creativity, you find a way to express it just because it's nothing that can solely be put into words, I think. Even for those of us who try, it's, it's such a difficult thing to like quantify that. Uh, I will say though that it's like, you know, I've been thinking about travel lately and it's just, it's a more, I guess it's, like life on steroids in the sense that because everything is so new, like you really take it in and you notice every little thing, right? And it's just an amplified version of how we just move through life in general. And um, it allows us to like take out those details and see with a bit more precision, like kind of the special things that happen in our lives. So, and also to appreciate the difference of like everywhere in the world. So for me, I think, Travel is just this, man, it's just so hard to define. It's just yeah. something you try and, I guess the answer is in the attempt. Totally. Yeah, I love what you said too about like, it's so new, so you're taking so many things in and then in the expression of it and in the creation of something, whether that's photos or writing a story about what you experience, it's like you're reliving that moment and you're suddenly then able to put yourself back in that time because it's kind of hard to do so in the moment because you're just like you said like the input and then the output and so i want to know what your process is like when you're traveling are you taking notes as you're going are you keeping record in a journal or how how do you have the experience and then be able to like take note and share from that experience do you do you take time do you not write at all do you take time after the trip and then let something flow out what does that look like for you Right. I usually a little bit of time pass before I do anything as far as writing is concerned. But it is interesting. It's like an interesting idea. Like how, how would the writing be different if you were to do it right away versus giving it a little bit of time? And I, I, I do wonder about that, like for my own process, whether one would be more authentic than another because less time has passed. And does that mean that you remember it better? Or does it mean that if you give it more time that you see it a bit clearer and you can kind of write more true to what you felt that experience was? So for me, though, like in the meantime, I do take some time before I write about anything in a 
long form kind of way. But every single day when I travel, I do uh, journal a little bit in point form. Mm. And it's just the details. It's just things like, for example, when I was in Africa, I was in Zanzibar and there's this tiny little like leather bound notebook that I brought with me for that trip. And I would just write small little things like just kind of highlight highlights of the day nothing nothing creative and I am doing full quotes here <laughs> nothing creative here but just stuff that happens and it's amazing because now that I go back and read it it's so even these simple little like memories of what had happened that aren't very biased in any way they bring back all these like, a flood of emotions and they bring me back to that specific moment I think details are really important I, more than anything, it's like, if you want to retain the memory, just write about the smallest little details that you have. Like, again, in Zanzibar, this, I was writing about how I was sitting underneath this uh, wooden awning, and there was a little light flickering, there were candles, it was kind of dark, you could hear the sound of the ocean. And I was just sitting there having a conversation with three other people. I wrote what the conversation was about. And then I wrote about how I felt my feet in the sand and just these very like sensual things really just draw you back into that experience. And I think as a writer, I, I feel like that's what's most powerful is these small little moments that you notice. It's not like, oh, well, the sky was blue or, you know, the, uh, this felt this way. I think it's really about noticing the small little things you never would have noticed and you might have forgotten if you hadn't written it down. Yeah, and if you hadn't been kind of looking for that with different eyes instead of, you actually illuminated something for me in, because you're right, it's all in the specificity of the details. And I think that's what makes me so drawn into your writing because it puts you right there. Like I can smell, I can taste, I my senses are activated from reading something on a screen that you wrote based off a memory or a time and place. And it's funny because I feel that same way when I'm traveling, I'm not creating in the moment. I'll just like sit at a cafe and just list details and like list what I ordered from, you know, from the cafe, list what I'm seeing, what am I hearing and just kind of engaging with the senses that way. But in the details, it's like in that way, you can kind of make any experience magical by really getting into the specificity of the details. And so, yeah, for some reason that just like illuminated something, even talking about the fridge poetry thing, because in that way you are just taking what is, you're noticing the little things that are present in the moment and then bringing out that, that really sensual and present experience into writing that then puts the reader into that space and that time. And, yeah, that just feels really good to me. Yeah, it, actually, now that you say it, it's kind of, I guess when you zoom in on the details, it's a lot less overwhelming mm -hmm. than to kind of paint a portrait of, or a snapshot of one big thing. And I think that's what overwhelms a lot of people. It's like, how do you portray a place accurately? And how do you express the experience to other people in a way that feels like that? that is the most real version, at least to me, that I want to share with people. And I think it when you start with the details, they're kind of almost like the building blocks that allow you to be tapping into 
the memory of what you saw and how that made you feel. It's kind of like a cheat now that I think about it because it's like, you know, well, my feet were in the sand. So what, what kind of sandals was I wearing that day? All of a sudden, all these emotions flip back because you remember those things. Yeah, and I love what you said also about taking space. It For some reason, it reminded me of, because I love reading memoirs because I just love true stories and I love human experiences. And so two memoirs came to mind, which is, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, of course. <laughs> and then also Wild by Cheryl Strayed. But I think those those represent a good example of, of both that we're talking about because I'm pretty sure Elizabeth wrote Eat, Pray, Love in the moment, like as it was happening. But Cheryl with Wild, she wrote it like 20 years after the experience. And her, I was amazed by her recounting of the details, recounting of the specificity, because I was like, how do you remember that? And I think that's something that I struggle with. Like, well, if I don't write about this now, I'm not going to remember it. But what I actually started to do in quarantine, because I was missing traveling and I was missing like all these experiences that I've had, I'm like, but wait, I've lived so many different experiences. How can I mine those for details? And how much can I really remember? And once I started writing, I was put back in that time and space. It was like, I could remember the smallest little things. So I think maybe, you know, not being so afraid of like, well, I'm not going to remember and trusting yourself that you will remember. And that, you know, as you write and as you go through the process, the details and the lessons and everything that you need will come because it's already there. I think that I just get in my mind, like thinking I'm going to lose it, but you don't, you're not going to, you just trust that it's there and that it'll always be there. Yeah. And it's also, I think, uh, it comes down to observation as well as this like really powerful art form of its own right. And I mean, we think of observation as a very passive thing because you don't, nothing comes out of that. But I think the observation is half of the, what's needed when you write, when you photograph really anything that involves a creative view, I guess, a perspective on things. Because the more you actively observe people or, you know, just like your daily life, even um, small little details about people. I mean, like, do you remember why it's, you know, your significant other wore yesterday night? Do you remember the food that you ate a week ago? It's like these small little things. And, you know, like, obviously the brain is saying, no, it's not important. You need to remember what kills you and what keeps you alive, yeah. <laughs> you know? So in some ways, nature is working against us to prevent us from remembering these details because we don't want to be overloaded. But I think the more we train ourselves to look at those things and kind of see like the value in them, like, huh, you know, it's interesting. Like maybe I'm going to notice this today and I'm just going to remember it just for the sake of it. I think it really and allows us to start looking at those things and remembering them kind of more automatically and then incorporating them into our actual creative practice. Yeah, I think that's what I love so much about creativity and spirituality because they're both these ideas of really dropping into the present and being aware of what is happening around you because sometimes too, I'm like so stuck in my head, I don't even remember what I'm holding in my hand because I'm not present, I'm not aware of like my body, I'm not aware of my surroundings of object, space and time. But that's what those practices teach you. And to have the mind of the artist or the mind of the yogi or the meditator, that's what you are learning. That's what you're training your mind in to really notice and observe and be present and aware. Mm -hmm. It's almost paradoxical, like, don't you think? Because when you write, uh, I think 
you're tapping a lot into stuff that happened in the past, right? Often, like, you know, memoirs, you got to look back and write about that stuff. And you're never, obviously, you're, when you're experiencing a moment, you're also not writing about it at the same time. Yeah. So, like, reading it by its nature is looking back at something. And so in some ways, it's like, oh, well, how could it be something that you need to tap into the present moment for? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to express that, like, the idea that in order to write about the past, you need to be present now. Yeah, I or I think maybe it's you need to be present and experience that moment fully, and only then can you later write about the experience and provide all those rich details because you were so fully present. And so really allowing yourself to be present in the moment. And then when you're by yourself at home or, you know, whatever, then going back and thinking about all the things that you experienced. It's really like clearing the internal monologue that you have. <laughs> Maybe we just don't notice that we go through life in experiencing things, as you, as you say, and having this constant maybe we're thinking about ourselves the whole time you know it's yeah. like, my dress look weird on me right now as I'm talking to the barista or whatever and you just this like weird thought process that goes through your mind I think it's because we center it so much on ourselves and we don't even notice it because it's so ingrained that we miss out a lot on the present moment yeah that's so true I want to mm -hmm. read a little bit from your blog you just, you just published this blog recently, right? Yes, I did a couple months ago and haven't really updated it recently, but. Well, <laughs> this is your reminder to update it because I will say that I look at it frequently and I love it so much. It's one of those things when I'm like always looking for things that really fill my cup and inspire me. And when I like read your blog, it fills me again with so many rich details that I'm like, I wish I wrote like this. I wish I could create something like this because it's this like rich treasure trove of just magic. That's the, that's the only way I can describe it. And I'm going to stop talking about it and just read something because even this little bit, you'll see like the amount of detail and just the richness and the beauty in it. So I was 19 bathed in the sweet magic of an evening tide eating vanilla and sea salt shortbread ice cream on a moonlit beach. Okinawa was possessed of an aura that carried me from the depths of myself. There were the soft granules of white sand cascading in a race to the shore, smoky flames enrapturing the night air, dense, sweet brine wafting from iridescent waters. Ah. <laughs> First of all, thanks for letting me read that. <laughs> Thank you for reading it. It was so, I think you have such a knack for reading things so poetically. That was beautiful. Your words are just beauty. And I'm, I'm sorry I didn't warn you. I was like, I just, I love your stuff so much. I'm just going to read it. And yeah. <laughs> You're just beautiful and amazing. The last question that I'll ask you is, is there something that's been inspiring you lately? Maybe a book you read or a piece of art that you've experienced, some kind of, artistic content that um, has inspired you recently? Hmm. Give me a second so I can check my Goodreads page. Oh my God, right? Sometimes I'm just like, wait, what am I reading? <laughs> what, what? Do you want an ebook by any chance? Yes, I, I actually got a Kindle for my India trip because I was like, I'm gonna wanna read. 
And I didn't, I was like, didn't like ebooks before that just because I like physical books. But then I was on this ebook kick for a while. And now the past couple months, I'm like refused to read from my Kindle just because I like, I love that, that feel of just actually holding a book. And so I was using it for like six months, but now I've kind of stepped away. Gotcha. But, but I guess the reason why I asked that was because with a Kindle, it's like very slippery slope where you just have a whole bunch of books that you're like partway through. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's new books and it's like, no, just read the ones you have. Yeah. I think that's maybe because you like, don't, you can't see them in front of you because now my library, I'll like think of a book and just immediately buy it, download it, read a couple pages and then forget about it. So like, there's so many books on there that I bought and haven't read or Right, or like halfway through. That's funny. Mm. Right. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to go with a book, I think. I, I, I want to say there's a couple days that I've really taken for myself throughout the summer where I would go for ice cream or I would go for a walk on the beach and just by the boardwalk, enjoy the view, enjoy the sunset. And these are very like visceral, they're very like summer related memories, but there's something about it. Like there's just something about going to the ice cream parlor and getting that mint chocolate chip sugar cone and like just the, the idea of enjoying something for the sake of the enjoyment of it, like that really pushes me into a different world, you know, especially nowadays when we can't really move much, do much. Um, we're very limited in that sense. I think it's like just rediscovering the little wonders of, man, like what is it like to just do something and enjoy it to its fullest capacity and to really like don't even feel bad about it, like order to that triple scoop, you know, or, or like do whatever makes you feel good. And I think it's, it really in the very end comes back to that is this idea of like what makes you feel good what really taps into like that inner person that you you know you are and finding ways to connect with her mm. uh, in that case and and that's beautiful to me because I think it's just about like this is what life is and I think these are the moments that you remember when you look back on it really it's like these very simple moments and you were reading that passage from earlier about <laughs> incidentally also about ice cream clearly ice cream is fantastic um yeah. <laughs> for me but yeah I think this idea of like just the, the full presence of that experience really speaks to me and I think we all have to sort of like search for those moments in our own lives totally that's so beautiful like really dropping into the sensuality of the present moment because when you're fully allowing yourself to enjoy and to be and to breathe and to live it's like oh life is so delicious and beautiful then it's so so delicious so thank you so much i am so filled up where can people find you find your work and where can they connect with you so my instagram handle is at peach.punk and my blog is www.orenji.com. That's O-R-E-N-J-I, which means orange in Japanese. Oh, I <laughs> didn't know that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's just a fun little word, and you know, it's it's transplanted from English, orange, orangey, and I think that in a way speaks to this sort of like cross pollination of the world, right? And and I love a food, obviously. Yes. <laughs> but food is life. There and also at uh, Gobi Magazine, 
G-O-B-E. So yeah. Cool. Well, we will put all those links below and please check Mandy out. She just inspires me so much. So thank you so much. And thank you so much. Like my cup is so filled right now. I, I love talking to you. It's just such a breath of fresh air every time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Soul Podcast, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to send it to a friend and tell them what inspired you, or feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at the underscore modern mermaid with your thoughts. And if you would be so kind to rate and review the podcast, I would love to gift you my guided writing meditation that will help you connect deeper to yourself, your creativity, and your spirituality. Just take a screenshot of the review and send it my way at the underscore modern mermaid and I will send over the meditation. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul.